Mr. Mears, you've highlighted a lot of uh, background information about about Bitcoin and about the the, the uh, you know immutable distributed ledger and the benefits of that decentralization versus centralization. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people in this space will use a phrase uh, that you may be familiar with. There's Bitcoin, and then there's shitcoin. Are you familiar with that phrase and what people might mean by that? I am. So, could you elaborate on how people would differentiate the two? Absolutely. I think the idea here is um, Bitcoin has had a long track record. It, the network has been operating for 10 years. The Bitcoin network has been tested. Um, the decentralized nature of the Bitcoin protocol has been tested. People have tried to co-opt control of Bitcoin source code and push it in certain directions that benefit their business models. And this network and this protocol and its open source governance have withstood that test. It is robust, it has been tested, and it has had the benefit, frankly, of spending its first five years in its nascency, sort of operating in this environment of innovation and not having a lot of regulatory attention. Is there a central authority that could dilute the value of Bitcoin? No. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is Pierre Richard, joined with Michael Goldstein, a.k.a. Bitstein. Michael, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, Michael, you yet again went viral. I did. I did. Uh, tell us about your experience going viral. Uh, well, all things go to Warren Davidson, um, the fine representative from Ohio. Um, so for those who did not see it, um, the admirable... Representative Warren Davidson um, introduced the term shitcoin um, to Congress during the Libra hearing, um, thereby putting it into the congressional record uh, for the rest of uh, America's history to uh, ogle at and, and enjoy. Uh, but he introduced this concept to Congress so that he, he, put in just like he he wedged the perfect dichotomy in the perfect way at the perfect time he just did a, a great job of introducing that shiv and um it it forced i think everyone uh who didn't already know it uh to really think clearly about what differentiates uh bitcoin from all the rest um especially in this case libra um and so i put out a tweet with the clip um of this event historical event and uh put it out on twitter and uh gave him a shout out and it went viral i did explain um something that that people haven't quite understood they've always thought that shitcoin is a uh profane language um but it's actually a highly technical economic term um and the fact that it's uh you know being used in congress and in the congressional record just goes to show that um the word fits uh, within, uh, you know, proper decorum. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and really the, you know, I, th I found the response interesting uh, from Meltem Demers where she mentioned that 
basically, Bitcoin had emerged as being far more decentralized and immutable than all of these other quote unquote crypto assets out there. Uh, and specifically uh, being uh, resistant to the influence of corporate interests, which to me sounded like she was alluding to the New York agreement and Segwit2x and uh, no to, hashtag no2x. Um, uh, Michael, couldn't we argue that, uh, well, it, okay, maybe Bitcoin is immune to corporate interests, but it's not immune to Twitter trolls. So in that regard, how, how is it more decentralized? You know, there's a hundred Twitter trolls. Uh, how is that more decentralized uh, than a hundred uh, Libra corporations? I guess we're taking the Chris DeRose argument here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've got, we've come full circle and uh, Chris DeRose is right. We control Bitcoin. Um, that's that sounds kind of like the Daniel Krawitz of, <laughs> of uh, you're the emperor. We, we the real emperors. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean it, it's it's a it's a very good point. Um, this is okay, something. Here, that, can I can I argue against my point because I don't think it's a good point. Uh, I, oh, I, 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 okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and I think that this this applies to the uh, Bitcoin core contributors as well. Of uh-huh. um, we could all get hit by a bus tomorrow and there's lots of people that could fill our shoes and that would be tweeting out the same stuff and have the same views and i I think that the end result would be the same and uh that it's just like there's not um it's 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 kind of almost the same as the argument about bitcoin maximalism itself it's like it's not that i'm a bitcoin shill because i own bitcoin I own Bitcoin and am a Bitcoin shill for fundamental reasons based on logic, life experience, whatever you know you want to describe. And so yeah. there are like fundamentals driving me toward towards that uh, rather than some kind of um, uh, reverse loop of trying to rationalize why I bought Bitcoin in the first place. And if people don't believe that, uh, because of course many people would probably uh, think you're full of shit. Um, It must be said that both of us were very hardcore proponents of uh, returning to the gold standard. And I don't know about you, I did not have gold sitting around. I couldn't afford it. I was... I was a silver bug, man. I I was an off-coiner. Yeah, no, I was was kind of the the shit-coiner in that sense. I was was buying the... uh, Litecoin to the physical Bitcoin. Uh, the, but it the... actually, it kind of made sense, right? Which is that um, we, we didn't have the divisibility uh, to Satoshi's. So I think that we have an excuse of saying, hey, we don't have enough money to own a whole ounce of gold. Yeah. Uh, the, the point, though, is that, yeah. you know, I, I was not, I was not, you know, Scrooge McDuck swimming in my uh, pool of gold coins. Uh, and yet I was still advocating for such a thing because I believed in uh, the, the value of sound money in a society. With Bitcoin maximalism, it's even like uh, a, a more intense uh, set of fundamentals because with the gold standard, it was almost uh, like, you know, pissing in the wind trying to make that happen. Um, but with Bitcoin, it's more of an inevitability. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I was interested in Austrian economics, sound money, 100% reserve banking, like before I had a bank account, like before I had any money at all. So like I had no skin in the game. These were the conclusions I came to. Uh, and, and then I got skin in the game afterwards. Um, but the other thing, too, is that I, I was uh, a skeptical no-coiner uh, when I first learned about Bitcoin. And um, I think everyone who, who encounters it kind of is. Right, yeah. I, maybe like Hal Finney. Yeah, Hal, <laughs> Hal Finney's the only one who was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. Let's make this the world reserve. Um, and, and I also think it's just kind of, it's, it's actually rational to be a skeptical no-coiner in the sense that um, you should have a minimum threshold for uh, the the viability of a new technology before yes. you adopt it. Like being so the this, first adopter is kind of irrational. Yes, and this actually comes back when I said it was a good point. I was not meaning the Krista Rose point. I was actually referring to Melton, but I was unclear about that. But to bring it all back, uh, what was so good about you know Melton's specific response is yes, pointing out that. Um, Bitcoin has existed for 10 years. And in that 10, in those 10 years, it has proven its credibility. And so likewise for us, what we're describing here is that, you know, when most people first come across Bitcoin, there's no credibility. It's like, well, what is this? It's made of thin air, you know? Uh, but then as time goes on and you continue to watch how it operates with the economy in real time, you come to understand what this thing is about. Um, and it becomes uh, less and less uh, possible to argue against it as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that was that was an impressive uh, clip, uh, audio clip that came out of that. Another impressive audio clip was this uh, guy, uh, Brad Sherman, who is a representative from, from California, which arguably is the worst state in the union. Uh, sorry to our listeners in California. I'm just speaking the truth. Um, and his his statement, well, it was it was kind of all over the place. First of all, I, I agree with parts of it, right? Where he's like saying that Bitcoin's like anarchist, libertarian, overthrowing the government. Uh, all fine by me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you for thank you for publicizing that information to everyone and reemphasizing that. Uh, and then also. He linked it to, um, you know, he was saying like, oh, my Republican colleagues think that is good. You know, that like they're okay. So I think that. What the hell? I love the Republican Party now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, it was interesting that some of the more positive comments about Bitcoin were coming from, from Republicans. Um, but really, I think that it should be a bipartisan issue. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. I've, I've been I've been tweeting out emphasizing how racist the U.S. dollar is because I do think that both the left and right should be interested in Bitcoin um, for different reasons, but uh, ultimately uh, Bitcoin is going to be good for civilization and uh, improving everyone's lot in life, uh, regardless. So uh, I think that uh, it's it's good that Brad Sherman is kind of drawing Republicans into Bitcoin. Um, whereas Donald Trump, with his tweet saying he's not a fan of Bitcoin, he's drawing Democrats into Bitcoin. And so as long as there's someone on both sides of the aisle saying Bitcoin is for the other side, then we kind of have a, uh, 
a, a complementary uh, set of beliefs. Uh, and then the other thing is, I thought it was interesting that Brad Sherman, uh, in his attempt at smearing Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, was compare comparing them to 9-11 and Osama bin Laden, which now, granted, I don't like Libra and I don't like Mark Zuckerberg, but he's not a terrorist and he hasn't killed 3,000 people. So, and he hasn't taken down two iconic buildings uh, in Manhattan. So I think that to, to even make the comparison uh, is, is completely unacceptable. Now, yes. And this is and, because, and this is coming from two people who no longer have Facebook accounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Endless critiques of the platform itself. And yet, yeah, it's it's absolutely absurd to be um comparing the two. There there was uh, I think I've told about this on the, on this podcast about um a crypto hedge fund manager in Singapore who drew a parallel between Rosa Parks and Bitcoiners in terms of, you know, uh, being uh, dissenters, right? Um, uh, what is civil disobedience? Uh, yeah. And people, the, the SJW mob was outraged by him. And I was like, look, like, this guy's in Singapore. Like, he doesn't understand how, like, that's not an acceptable thing to say. Brad Sherman, on the other hand, is, you know, presumably 100% American, but maybe he's not, and maybe he should go back to where he came from. But uh he's well he's, no pierre you don't understand he's he's in the washington bubble oh right so he's, he, he's, he's connected from, like to actually be in america yeah to him you can compare anything to that uh, oh, yeah. they, they do this all the time i actually uh when i was in when i was in school um i had to take some you know they, there was like a writing flag and i had to take a um a class uh, and it, it was it was a computer class. It was like uh, computers and ethics or something like that. Um, which this was the semester right after uh, uh, Edward Snowden happened. That was over the summer. And this mm -hmm. was the next semester. So of course, like the the obvious topic you would you know dwell on would be that. But instead, it was mostly about like how robots were going to take jobs, and I had to uh, draw ire from the professors by having to correct them on economics. But at some point near the end of the semester, for whatever reason, a former head of uh, like a director of research from the NSA came to talk to the class. And he gave this whole presentation and he was going on about, oh, this is what the NSA does, blah, blah, blah. And then totally out of nowhere, a, a slide comes up and said, it was just 9-11. We said we'd never forget. And it's just pictures of, uh, you know, all of the, the terrorist activity and explosions and, and pain and suffering. Um, and then he used that as a, a means to uh, defend, you know, I guess the NSA spying on all of us. Um, there's there's something very strange about their, their desire to always be um, doing that to, to tug at our uh, emotions but it's just, but that still doesn't even like. There's actually a plausible story there of the NSA somehow managing. I don't. I don't think they're actually uh, doing this. But there's a plausible story of the NSA using their powers to be able to uh, uh, squash uh, future terrorist plans. Uh, on the other hand, Sherman here. 
his comparison is just, I, I, it's, it's too absurd to fathom. I, I couldn't make up uh, that if I wanted to. Yeah. I also, and then in a follow-up interview on, on Bloomberg, uh, he's basically saying, um, you know, we should ban cryptocurrencies. And uh, then he, he was saying that like Bitcoin is still a little baby, like implying that that means that we can snuff it out. And I was like, well, me who has a one-year-old, like that doesn't go over so well. Like, <laughs> something being a little baby like that means it's innocent and we should see what it grows up to be uh you know not uh you know every baby is hitler and we should kill it in the crib uh which no, but if you happen to see power. him raise his arm at a 45 degree angle you know what to do <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um yes my son has never done that uh, so <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty absurd. Now uh, let's let's not forget. I think we discussed it on this. I, I think we've discussed Brad Sherman on this show before. Yeah, the previous reason why he uh, gained notoriety in the Bitcoin community uh, was when he was you know saying, "Oh, we need to ban cryptocurrencies," and the reason why was uh, because Bitcoin. He actually understood Bitcoin is like this threat to the entire. U.S. dollar and the U.S. dollar, we we need that system because how else are we going to uh, uh, engage in the aggressive foreign policy uh, that the the U.S. government engages in? So he was he was being extremely explicit about the kind of stuff that Ron Paul used to talk about, but we were like the crazy ones for talking about that. But then a Democratic Seriously politician yeah. co comes in to just uh, lay it out all out for us. So. I do thank him for that. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other person who uh, was making absurd statements was Mnuchin. Uh, he, on CNBC, tried to make the argument that nobody is laundering money with dollars in cash. Uh, that was kind of, that was the position he staked out. Now, I, I don't know if he was like, because- Even more so, he was making it seem like people don't use the dollar for anything nefarious. <laughs> Yeah, which, which is why I treated out. I mean, his his uh, you know previous life, you know, he he kind of found his way into the treasury secretary secretary well, position. He has no. He donated money to Trump such so much that he bundled so many donations that he got into that position as secretary of the treasury. And during his confirmation hearing, he was getting grilled over the fact that he had hundreds of millions of dollars in foreign bank accounts that were tax evaded. <laughs> Presumably, we don't know, you know, for sure, because obviously you know, right. he's got privacy with his. Uh, but he didn't just uh, what, what I mean, what yeah. I mean is that he uh, he 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 doesn't he didn't have like prior political uh, uh, like a prior political background. This is like, oh, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure like in in his in like behind the scenes with a lot of work, there's all kinds of shady deals, right. which, you know, goes to say some other things about his point. Uh, but this was like him stumbling into that. And I, I pointed out, he, he used to be a film producer. Yeah. It's like, tell me, tell me that you're not at parties where just like everyone is snorting Coke through, uh, you know, hundreds. But yeah, Michael, maybe, maybe that actually contributes to his difficulties in terms of being 
giving a political answer, right? Which is that mm. with a political you can't answer, snort coke through Bitcoin. <laughs> with with a political answer, you've got to tread a fine line between being credible and saying something that you know uh, people will buy, uh, and and also uh, lying, right? <laughs> uh, but you you can't just like you can't go on television and just outright lie as a politician. People yeah. will call you out on that. People see through that. Now, if you kind of dissemble and you know make it uh, a little more with uh, a little more nuance, uh, then people can't really call you out on it. And um, I think that he just doesn't have that kind of training. So he went for the bald face lie of like nobody is using the dollar for nefarious activities. Um, whereas I think the, yeah, he's the, like trying to play the Trump playbook. Yeah, what, what you're supposed to do with a question like that is you're supposed to not answer it, which is that, uh, you know, uh, what's his, uh, Joe Kernan, who is now our hero, um, you know, his question was, well, should we ban cash, right? Because if we're banning whatever is being used for nefarious activities, we should ban cash. Like, your answer to that should be, we should not want more money laundering happen. Bitcoin enables more money laundering. We have to stop that from happening. And so that's why we have to act strongly against it. Like you don't actually answer the question that's being put in front of you because there's no good answer to it, right? You got to change noob. the topic Total and noob. deflect. <laughs> but anyway, um, hopefully, hopefully Mnuchin listens to our podcast and he uh, takes my advice seriously. But yes. uh, I think I honestly, I think I should replace him. Like if the dollar wants to have someone who can steal man the dollar, uh, they need to put me in. I, I did see uh, the the hashtag floating around Pierre for Treasury Secretary. So uh, we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, I we do have to give <laughs> yeah. one more shout out um, with regards to the week in politics, and that is uh, Congressman Patrick McHenry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he first kind of popped up on our radar in the Bitcoin world because he was on uh, one of the one of the news networks, one, one of the one of the fake news networks. Um, and he he was basically saying that uh, it, you, you can't kill Bitcoin. Um, and everyone's like, oh, someone gets it. But then at, he, he had a questioning period during the, the Libra hearing. And the closing statement, you get like, you know, five minutes to talk. Uh, it was a very impassioned speech um, just about the the importance of being able to develop new technologies and see where they go. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting to see the, the politicians. Now, I wonder, like, so... so um, uh, one of the questions people will bring up is about, you know, whether the U.S. is going to ban Bitcoin or not. And I think it's pretty clear that there just is not the political will to do that anything like that anytime yeah. soon. Uh, when was uh, they're not very good at banning a lot of things. So, <laughs> well, yeah, the other thing, too, is that if they actually did ban it, I mean, uh, you know, it would be as effective as their ban on cocaine. Right. Um now, the other uh, thing that they can do is try to slow things down by essentially like putting pressure on banks to not provide any banking services to any Bitcoin-related exchanges or brokerages. So yeah. that's something that they can do um, and arguably have been doing. I, um, it's, I think that banks have been like doing that to themselves. I don't think the yeah. government has actually come in and told them, 
Like, don't don't yeah. bank these people. Now, of course, people use this as an argument against Bitcoin. Um, I do have to remind <laughs> It's an people. argument against banks. Yeah, exactly. This is, every time you see something like that, Bitcoin continues to process transactions every 10 minutes with a new block, uh, statistically. Um, yeah. It just continues to work. It's a fiat system uh, that is is making it hard for people to uh, take control of their money and move it where they want to move it. Um, so uh, th that, of course, would slow it down. They're right in that sense. Um, but you should put blame where blame is due. Right. Right. Uh, and um, I also think that we need to see like more more political lobbying uh, that is pro-Bitcoin. And I know that's not popular among Bitcoiners, but I think that practically speaking, it's it's good uh, for Bitcoin. I, yes. And I mean, I, so people should, of course, know how much I hate politics. Um, and I, you know, I've, <laughs> I've been on the public record, uh, you know, stating how, how voting is a waste of time and all of that. Um, but if people do want to engage in politics, I would make the argument um, that, you know, in, in a democracy, uh, lobbying is the most effective form. Uh, because, right, it's not voting. Yeah, because when in you fact, even just calling their office is more effective than voting. Right, because that's something that like actually has an effect on that person's day, even if so small. I joked once uh, there was a a Austin American statesman journalist um, many years ago who it, it was kind of funny because I told him that you know, how much I hate politics. And I was like, you know, I was always wearing like a Rothbard shirt or something. So he's very confused because he kept seeing me at like a Rand Paul event or something. And I was just there because someone like handed me a ticket and I didn't have anything going on. Um, but he had never heard anyone give an actual rational explanation of why you might not want to waste your time voting. Um, you know, usually usually the the argument for not voting is effectively like, I don't care or I'm too lazy um, as opposed to, to many other arguments you can make. Uh, when I was at the Rob Paul, uh, the Rand Paul thing uh, down in the lobby, he, he had come in, he was, it was like upstairs at some hotel and uh, like I saw him and I, I, I shook his hand and said hello and made a joke with him. Uh, he laughed and all that. And um, actually later in his talk, he saw me and like pointed at me. Uh, but so, so I had to explain to this journalist that me shaking Rand Paul's hand just there uh, did way more for my chances of affecting American politics than me going to the voting booth, statistically speaking, because yeah. I made yeah, a positive effect on Rand Paul. Uh, but yeah, like, you know, imagine, you know, I, I tweeted out how, how people should call their congressmen and uh, get them to read the Bitcoin standard. Um, and I know the Bitcoin rabbi has has started a drive to uh, get copies of his his children's book in the hand of politicians, which might be a better start for the politicians. Um, and I do think that that's valuable because if you can manage, I mean, who knows, who knows if they'll read it specifically, but if any staffers in Washington start reading that book, that means that that knowledge is being disseminated and as we were just discussing, like once you once you know this and you start seeing it, and time goes on, uh, the the reality of it just becomes inescapable. So um, that would have a a massive 
um, effect, I think, um, on politics, much, much more so than a lot of other strategies people might want to take. Yeah, and I think that there, there, there is like pro Bitcoin legislation that could get passed, like uh, yeah. especially with the tax situation. Like there are there are places on planet Earth where there is zero capital gains tax on uh, on Bitcoin transactions or on on Bitcoin uh, capital gains. So um, there, you know, you 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 make it a lot easier for people to use it in a point of sale, you know, merchant whatever scenario now. We can debate about that kind of nonsense. Uh, but in any case... Um, Still, it makes America look like a third world banana republic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and uh, bananas are like 100% carbs. So yeah. you can imagine how bad that is. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think that the other thing is getting politicians to talk about Bitcoin means that it gets into the news more and then... Uh, more normies are like, oh, Bitcoin's still around. And then they go uh, research it and fall down the rabbit hole. So ultimately, it creates more Bitcoiners, uh, whether in government or outside of it. Um, and uh, this was all really instigated by Libra, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if Libra hadn't come out, they, this wouldn't have happened. Now, this leads me to a conspiracy theory. David Marcus owns a lot of Bitcoin. I don't think a lot of people are aware of this, but... He was buying Bitcoin with Wences Casares and with uh, the Winklevi twins uh, in 2013. So I don't think he's sold. He hasn't really had a reason to sell. He used to be on the board at Coinbase too. Bingo. So I think that he's got big bags, and you know he might he might like be passionate about Libra and like he might really believe in it. But I also think that he kind of just intuitively knows that like whatever happens with Libra, it's good for Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> Whether it gets shut down and proves how important it is to be decentralized and how there's really not going to be any competition to Bitcoin, or if it actually does work out and ends up providing more liquidity to Bitcoin and they put Bitcoin in their, you know, Libra reserve. And then also Libra's gets Facebook to teach people how to deal with BIP39 and all yeah, kinds of other crypto stuff. And, yeah, yeah all, all that. Um, and, and then just advancing kind of the conversation uh, about Bitcoin and making it clear the difference between now, what, what I think, what I, here's my theory. Mm -hmm. His strategy is, this is a negotiation, okay? We start off the negotiation with, hey, guys, we're going to create uh, a Swiss association in Switzerland uh, that is going to be completely unregulated and outside of the United States. Uh, we're going to have a wallet called Calibra, here in the U.S., that's going to be AMLKYC, just like any other, you know, hosted wallet uh, here in the U.S. But, um, yeah, the underlying asset is going to be Libra, yada, yada. Now, I think that the second step in the negotiation is like, oh, you guys don't like the Swiss Association? You don't like uh, the Libra part? Okay, let's just drop that. We'll use Bitcoin uh, with Calibra. And uh, that'll just be our, our the asset that we use. And, yeah, it's volatile, but uh, we'll use... Uh, Coinbase's massive resources to help stabilize the market and uh, we'll, we'll make it less volatile. Right? Uh, maybe, I don't know. That would, that would make David Marcus very wealthy. That I think would actually work uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to what they're proposing. Uh, and um, at the end of the day, like, it's funny because if, if you tell, you know, some people on Twitter about this, they'll be like, dude, Facebook is not going to buy your bags, okay? They're not going to go out there and make you rich. Uh, they're going to want to build their own 
thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, all right, Bitcoin is like the most liquid and decentralized crypto asset, right? So like already they don't really have any other options. Like their number two option after Libra is Bitcoin. Sorry, that's not, they're, they're not going to buy Dash, all right? Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to. They're not going to be like, well, you know, Litecoin's more scalable, so we're going to go with Litecoin. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, they'll, that's they'll, that's they'll kind go of the my BSB route. Theory. There's hmm? more block space. Yeah. Well, what we need to do is we need to use Ethereum on BCH. We should talk about that as well because that was that was the most idiotic thing I've ever read. Yeah. Well, one one last thing yeah. I want to say on on the other topic before we move on is. Uh, you know, once again, this dichotomy that uh, Davidson introduced uh, is also going to be a massive shelling point for any of these discussions going forward, because everyone has to ask the question, is this Bitcoin or is this shitcoin? And, uh, you know, I, I imagine a lot of congressmen, you know, uh, over time facing the question, you know, they're going to have to ask themselves, you know, is the US dollar a shitcoin? And with this dichotomy, uh, they might not think that at first, but it's going to be harder and harder for them to to argue anything but. Um, and I, I think that'll ve be very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so uh, Vitalik tweeted out that he wanted, uh, because, because Ethereum 2.0 is taking too long to come out, um, which I, it's funny, he he tried he tried trolling me on Twitter by uh, mentioning me as someone who should ask a question to the Ethereum 2.0 researchers in their um, AMA, and he also tagged um, Nouriel Roubini and uh, Peter Schiff, I think it was uh, the three of us. Like, hey, you know, you guys are idiots. Uh, uh, and then I, I asked him a question about Ethereum 2.0, which was. How do we verify the monetary policy, right? How do we know there aren't more ethers being created? And and his answer boiled down to after after a lot of back and forth because he really was cagey about it. Uh, his answer was fraud proofs and data availability proofs, which is really it's also the answer in Bitcoin, but yes. they don't exist. And and then I went to look at the research paper he wrote. And I was kind of like, uh, or not, I was reading a summary of the research paper because I'm not a cryptographer. I don't know. Anything. Uh, and, and there was a lot of caveats and a lot of like, uh, you know, it seemed very, uh, you know, it's not fleshed out yet. And, mm -hmm. and then um, he, he mentioned, oh, there was another tweet that was uh, talking about how a lot of the things for Ethereum 2.0 haven't been spec'd out yet. And so they're not even ready to be implemented because there's no spec. Now, you know, as, as a Bitcoiner, we say uh, the implementation is the spec, but uh, fair, uh, you know, let's, let's see if they even have a, a theory about how the implementation would work. Um, so I, I asked if the fraud proofs had been spec'd out and um, he said, yes, uh, here's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. Here's a link to the GitHub uh, uh, pull request, which had been open two weeks ago. And so a week after I had cornered him on the issue of fraud proofs, uh, he 
there, this pull request got opened, which made me wonder, like, is there a relationship here or something? Uh, I don't want to imply that I, I'm influential in Ethereum 2.0 development circles, but it yeah. seems as though I, I might have put a fire under someone's ass. Um, and um, the, so yeah, <laughs> so Ethereum 2.0 is going great. Uh, it might get delivered in 10 or 20 years. Uh, and it's the, the, the first release is scheduled for January of next year, um, which is in like five months. So, I, I forget, were there any Ethereum people that were making fun of Lightning Network saying it's always 18 months away? I know there was a lot of that in, in the sort of BCH community, but I, I don't recall if Ethereum. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't, okay, I don't think okay. the, because Ethereum people, to their detriment, are like too engineering and developer. Minded. They know that so, that's how that works. Yeah, they understand mm-hmm. how how these things work. Uh, whereas the Bcashers are just high time preference degens, right? Um, <laughs> and and well, so the thing uh, with the pro- and they have like. <laughs> Thing with the sorry, like the audio is being weird. Yeah. Uh, the thing with the fraud proofs is like, if if they manage to figure that out, that'd be absolutely huge. Well, yeah, because then we use that in Bitcoin, and, and then we can scale on chain massively, right? Uh, but um, I, it, I don't know. It's I'm talking key, out of my ass. It's but the key the, to uh, Satoshi's vision. Yeah, and I'm not even being ironic. Like you know, his in the his, white paper. Yeah, his description of. Uh, SPV effectively required fraud proofs to be viable. So, like, yes, Vitalik, please do that um, and put up or shut up uh, because we would love that if you had it. Now, uh, unfortunately, what we'll get, Michael, is um, something Sorry. that has <laughs> so many trade-offs uh, taken, uh, you know, so many abuses of trade-offs that the Bitcoin developers will look at... The, their, their fraud proofs and be like, eh, look, uh, okay, you, you guys might be satisfied with this, but this is not <laughs> nearly up to snuff for Bitcoin. And uh, you guys are going to have lots of fractional reserve um, on, on your sharding and uh, have fun. This is that. what happens all the time with everyone who, I, I guess I don't, you don't see it quite as much anymore. I feel like the same kind of, there, there was a heyday of uh, competing consensus algorithms there is the age of like when Tezos was forming, you had Tendermint, you had all these things. And what none of these people understood is like, yeah, that's great for whatever you're imagining, but it's not good enough for Bitcoin. Bitcoin has very specific uh, security re- requirements, you know, um, and it, it has like a, a certain level of openness uh, that is required that is like complete openness. Um, and none of your consensus algorithms allow that except for proof of work. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so Ethereum 2.0 is not coming along very well. Apparently, I mean, it, it's also been delayed before, but I, I don't hold that against them. I just think that the, even just the, the premise of it is kind of crazy. Like, that they're going to create an entirely separate system that's going to ride on top of Ethereum and bootstrap itself off of Ethereum, but really it's a completely new um, it's a new system, right? It's proof of stake. Uh, Ethereum no. 2.0 is a damning critique of Ethereum itself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, anyway, so I wish them luck. Uh, and the did, so did you see Vitalik that was saying that oh, short of having Ethereum 2.0. 
uh, we should scale by using uh, the Bitcoin Cash blockchain to put Ethereum data in. Which to me was like, uh, there's there's so many memes that, that go. Yes, with. well, this goes back to the original, like prior to Ethereum, if I remember correctly. Uh, part of the reason that Vitalik wanted to create a new network was because the sort of old op return debate and a, a pushback on Vitalik wanting to dump tons of data into the Bitcoin blockchain. So this is just uh, bringing back uh, uh, Vitalik's uh, original vision um, and and allowing him, he, there, there is now a Bitcoin, quote unquote, uh, that he can dump that data in. Um, and I expect it to have the exact kind of consequences that we already expect. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's the trash chain concept of uh, accepting everyone's negative externalities. But um, I also, I think that, um, I don't think that Vitalik was making a serious proposal. I think he was trolling. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that that reflects where, where he's at personally, which is that he, he kind of, I, I think he understands the dead end that uh, he's thrown this, uh, this project into, and he's kind of got an element of nihilism about him and of cynicism that has turned into just wanting to troll uh, Bitcoiners, um, which, okay, fine. Um, I just, I, I, I don't think that like, I don't think that the Ethereum uh, investors, quote unquote, uh, are aware of this. And I, I don't think that they uh, have internalized that essentially their boy genius is kind of, just not, it, he's kind of checked out um, mm -hmm. intellectually. You know, that brings up uh, an interesting thought, uh, which is that, you know, there's there's so much uh, critique of uh, the, the Bitcoin developer's role in the community. People think that they somehow control it. Um, but actually, when you, when you were talking about that, it made me think that, you know, perhaps the um, Bitcoin developers as a sort of class is a very like vague abstract mm -hmm. class, but as a class is like much more integrated into the community and constantly, you know, engaging with developers. I mean, uh, sorry, with uh, investors. Right. Uh, now, some, I thought, not all of them. I thought some of them are all, that. what was that? I, I thought that where you were going with that was that, and here's the point I, I'd make, um, is that in it for, for any of these, uh, you know, projects, I think that the, the developers are trapped within the confines of the protocol. Mm -hmm. And so um, that goes in kind of the positive sense of discipline equals freedom for Bitcoin. Yes. And then in the negative sense of uh, your protocol is a dumpster fire <laughs> and you have to sit inside of it. Yes, uh, and that is a big problem because then if you if you live in that world, then anything goes. You can yeah. make a a uh, argument that oh, maybe we should just use BCH as a data store, and whether it's a joke or not, people are going along with it and thinking, oh, okay. Remember when he joked about changing Ethereum's monetary policy on April first, but it also didn't really sound like a joke. Remember when that person just recently was was uh, talking about uh, 
how Ethereum is deflationary because bugs have lost people money. <laughs> <laughs> but also not because they have reversed those bugs to give the money back. <laughs> Did they ever reverse the parody bug? No, no. Or is that money still now, stuck. It's still an open, it's still an open issue, right? So, yeah. um, there was also the, the issue the brought up recently, uh, like this past week of, I, I saw something along the lines of wanting to uh, basically make the Ethereum price more stable by doing something with the protocol. Yes, 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 yes. So that, that was, um, I, I don't know if this guy has any like credibility or if he's just like a Ethereum Twitter person, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm a Bitcoin Twitter person. I don't have any yeah, uh, yeah, influence yeah. on anything. Um, but he was suggesting that, uh, there, th yeah, you do have influence on Ethereum 2.0 development. <laughs> well, look, I'm just asking questions. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm just asking the questions. You, they don't have to answer them. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I think that there is a, a level of disgruntled, uh, you know, people in the Ethereum ecosystem that, you know, it's it's not. I, I think that the dollar price obviously is a problem for them, but I actually think that the Bitcoin to Ethereum exchange rate is a bigger issue in their minds than mm -hmm. than they let it on to. Um, I know it would be for me uh, because ultimately, if if they if their argument is that uh, this this these innovations, their the value of the tokens is going to be driven by their utility and Ethereum has more utility than Bitcoin, then Ethereum should have no problem competing against Bitcoin in the market mm -hmm. for monies and, and yeah. in the market for crypto tokens or whatever you want to call them. Um, and yet it, it is having problems. And so uh, we have to ask ourselves, maybe there is something else to it than uh, just having lots of uh, great developer user experience, you know, and uh, lots of smart contracts. You mean liquidity is more important than features? When it comes to a money, it, it might be. Uh, and then, if only and then, if only there had been some young gentlemen trying to say this to the cryptocurrency community since you know at least 2013. And although, if only someone had written a book back in the 1800s yeah. about the origins of money and what you know drives a good to become a money. Now, I think we have to go. Excuse me. Once we start talking about liquidity, it's time. It's that time for <laughs> no, no. Um, this is my favorite topic to discuss. Uh, um, I think that the the liquidity argument is kind of it, it becomes tautological. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, but it, it, it's kind of um, it's like the the shelling point or the uh, Keynesian beauty contest, right? Of what do others uh, want? Whereas the shelling point, I think. The, the key part of it is that there are underlying fundamentals. And so the, the, the liquidity ultimately um, is, is downstream of the fundamentals. And in, in this case, I think it's, it's the credibility of monetary policy and the soundness right. of monetary policy. Right. And we had a, uh, a, a speech from the St. Louis Federal Reserve uh, president, Bullard, uh, who he literally said, like, one of the main principles of monetary economics is that the value of a currency is determined by the credibility of its future monetary policy. 
And that, you know, like I, I've been saying this on Twitter for years now because not because I'm a genius and I found this out, but because I've been reading about monetary economics for quite some time. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and I've read about monetary history and it's not like it takes a, 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 a galaxy brain, 180, 180 IQ brain. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm well, you know, it, it should be noted. It should be noted, for instance, that yeah. like, um, when the the so called like crack up boom happens, like in a hyperinflationary event, you know, often why that happens, like inflation can go on for a long time. The crack up boom really starts when everyone's like, wait a second, I don't think this thing can go anymore. It's it's really like when everyone like kind of wakes up at some point. Got to dump um, your bags. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a hot potato. Which goes to show, like, it's it's about the credibility. Like, you can have inflation for a long time if everyone, you know, as we see in America, you can you can lose ninety eight percent of your value over a hundred years if everyone still continues to be like, oh, well, they're really good at you know keeping it from you know being even worse than that. Right, and it's important to note that even in America, even in the United States, where we have. Uh, a very strong military backing our currency. Um, there was the beginnings of a crack-up boom in the late 70s. And if you look at the uh, price of gold, it was going parabolic because the legitimacy and the credibility of U.S. monetary policy was in the, in the shitter, okay? Uh, and the only person who turned things around was Paul Volcker as the Federal Reserve chairperson who, uh, or I can say chairman because he was actually a man and continues to be a man today, um, <laughs> I think. I should check the news. Um, but uh, he, he reestablished the credibility of U.S. monetary policy and allowed the dollar to uh, be the world reserve currency uh, and to, to, to be sound enough mm-hmm. to compete against gold. Now, yeah. uh, you know, that's anathema to a lot of gold bugs out there, but that's... I think that's the my reading on it. Um, and so even in the U.S., you can have a, a complete loss of credibility of monetary policy. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll, right now we're not there yet, uh, but uh, people shouldn't be so quick to dismiss it and be like, no, the U.S. is immune from that because we have good, good institutions here. And right. we have an independent Federal Reserve. Yeah, meanwhile, everyone is losing all faith in all institutions across <laughs> yeah. the political spectrum. Right. If you look at the polling data, like Congress has like 15% trust, I think is, is the point. Um, now, the Federal Reserve right now is, is kind of still seen as independent, but Trump has been working very hard to undermine the Federal Reserve's independence. Uh, and I think that whether it's him or a successor of his in the presidency, and whether they are a Republican or a Democrat, uh, someone's going to uh, undermine Federal Reserve credibility. Now, the, the other thing, too, is you could argue that the, the Federal Reserve is already uh, in, in uh, a position where you don't even need to compromise their independence for them to make the wrong decision, which is that they're, they're currently talking about cutting interest rates when we're at the top of the economic cycle. Like uh, the stock market is hitting all-time highs, and they're like, Look, if we don't cut interest rates, the stock market's going to stop hitting all-time highs. Like we got to keep, we got to loosen money supply now, guys. Come on. Uh, so <laughs> cue, cue Hayek and Kane rap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, 
So it's all it's all very exciting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so so a, a couple things to note there is, you know, for instance, uh, well, first of all, like I think on uh, I think Democrats as well uh, want to sort of undermine um, the the Federal Reserve independence um, in the sense of there's been a big push for MMT, and you're going to need uh, congressional oversight of money in order to really do a good job of MMT. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and this is, this is, this is a classic debate in American politics. This is nothing new. Um, MMT is a sort of new uh, phenomenon, um, but the wanting, wanting Congress in charge of uh, the, the money is, is a very old uh, part of American politics. There was the Greenbacker movement and, you know, uh, there was the whole William Jennings Bryan thing. Um, all of this, uh, by the way, a lot of it is tied to to farmers who were producing uh, grains and corn and all of that. So I uh, just want to point out Bitcoin carnivory is uh, way more real than you think. But um, the other thing to note is that uh, <laughs> you said like, you know, in the 70s, uh, the dollar was facing this uh, pretty intense competition from gold and it was able to pull through. Um you know, what, the interest rates had to go up to what, like 20% or so? Yeah. Yeah. So if there was a, a, an occurrence like that in America again, um, and the foe was Bitcoin, um, you know, you tell me, like, it's going to be much more difficult uh, to, to get the dollar in place to, to be able to compete with that. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. They would have to get, I mean, the, the, the the um, the the other part, like the Federal Reserve, is run by commercial banks. Like the the commercial banks, like have outsized influence on what the Federal Reserve does. And so they, it, when people say that the Federal Reserve is independent, it's you're saying it's independent from Congress, but you're not saying that it's independent from like the the rest of the economy. And when they raise interest rates, they get into a lot of both political pressure, but also uh, like economic pressure from within. And so like, uh, you know, when when Paul Volcker was going to 20 percent, like people were not happy at all. Uh, bankers were not happy uh, and nobody was happy. Um, it takes a special kind of like, uh, you know, sh- cigar munching. Uh, he's a giant, too. He's like he's like six foot something. Uh, so like he doesn't take crap from anyone. Um, but I don't think that exists today. Like, uh, they, the kind of theory of money, (laughs) um, joke, chartalism, woke chattelism. (laughs) What's the, uh, what's physiognomy? (laughs) The physiognomy of a central banker will tell you a lot about the credibility of monetary policy. Um, anyway, I don't want to get into too much controversy there, uh, especially when we look at some recent central bankers. Uh, but oh, uh, and and the head of the BIS, uh, the yes, yes. the final boss. We're going to be doing some interesting measurements here. Uh, oh boy. Anyway, um, yeah. Okay, we should we should wrap up and talk about uh, BitBlockBoom. Go yes. to BitBlockBoom.com. Michael, and, uh, tell us about promo this code SNI. Yes. Oh yeah, so, use the promo code SNI on bitblockfood.com. 
Yes. So the dinner, we are very close to securing a much bigger location. Um, the, the dinner is shaping up to be an even better event than I thought it was going to be. Uh, I think you can agree, Pierre. Um, like we've said before, you know, last year we had a, a, you know, kind of semi-formal, uh, steak dinner. Uh, but this year, uh, people demanded some good Texas hospitality. So that's what we're given. Um, and we're going to have, uh, an awesome, uh, barbecue. Um, you know, all the, all the brisket and sausage you can eat. And, um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, especially with this, uh, this new location, um, we're going to be able to fit, I think pretty much everyone who wants to come to the event, we're going to be able to fit you in. Um, so, uh, if, if you, um, if you're on the wait list, we'll be sending out invites very soon. Um, and if you are not on the wait list yet, please go to nakamotoinstitute.org slash events and apply, uh, so that we can get you in. I, you know, it's, it's beer, it's, uh, live music and, uh, it's beef. So I think that everyone's going to have a really good time. Last year it was 82 people. Um, this year I think we'll go far above that. And, oh yeah. Yeah. And with the, the weightlift uh, alone, we're it well was a, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, hardcore Bitcoiners, because obviously you, you don't even bother applying if you're a shitcoiner. Um, but um, the other thing too is that like there's there's Bitcoiners that I barely tolerate, right? And uh, they're they are kind of on I would call them on the fringes of Bitcoin, and they don't they don't bother coming either because they're not hardcore enough. They they they're self aware enough to know that they shouldn't apply. But um, if now I don't want to dissuade anyone here. I, I'm not. What I'm saying is that there there are there are some Bitcoiners who are insufferable on Twitter. Uh, you know, we're concerned trolling about Bitcoin. You wouldn't be. They're not your, welcome. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you were one of. Yeah, them. they're not listening. If you're listening to this podcast, you're overqualified for attending the uh, SNI annual dinner. So, by all means, uh, sign up, and we'll make sure that that you come in. Uh, if if you are listening to this podcast and you want to go to the dinner, but for some reason it's you, you have not been able to buy your ticket yet. Uh, DM me or Michael Goldstein, and we will take care of you. Yeah. Um, like I said, also, nakamotoinstitute.org slash events. Get your name in there um, and yeah. your information, and uh, we'll be getting invites out as soon as possible. Like Unlike unlike before, we can, we can pump out the invites much faster now because we have uh, a lot more space at hand. Yeah. The, 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 uh, so it'll be fun, and uh, I don't want to like, give away the location, but it's going to be a really nice uh, barbecue joint that is going to be a lot of fun. If I give away like what the main attraction is there, then people will know where it is. Well, let yeah. me just say there's going to be something there that's going to be it's unlike any other mind. barbecue joint you've ever been to. <laughs> we'll leave it a mystery. It's a mystery meat. Um, yeah. But of yeah. course, like we already said, also get your ticket for Bitblock Boom if you haven't already, and um, go go to the the page on their website, uh, the the schedule page to see all of the other events going on in Dallas that weekend. Um, I know there's the barbells and bitcoins, which uh, I believe is sold out, but there might be some way of sneaking more people in. Um, there's the uh, Pierre's Lightning Workshop on Friday. I believe there's a um, 
is it is it T- tone vase is doing a uh some kind of investment trading. workshop um yeah. there's going to be a shooting range trip i believe on friday there's the brunch on sunday there's the conference on saturday it's going to be an action-packed weekend of bitcoin maximalism um and so many great people are coming i'm the 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 guest list uh just for the dinner alone has had me so excited yeah absolutely uh now um the other thing is uh sign up on our patreon uh patreon.com noted or if you want to support the show uh with uh bitcoin you can go to noted.org and we have a btc pay server integration there where you can send us uh, funds either on Lightning or on Chain, and uh, that that'll help support the show so that we keep producing high quality content. Uh, and eventually, you know, we can compete with the big dogs and get our own podcasting studio uh, if we get enough uh, support from our listeners. We're already talking about the great things we could do. Uh, yeah, well, tell tell them about the idea with Twitch because I like this a lot. Actually. Yeah, well, so I mean, right right before the show, we we had to delay starting the show because uh, Pierre had a a very important dig at a certain Silicon Valley crypto company CEO, um, and watching him and we were kind of like you know going back and forth on the tweet it, it, tweets tweets are are. It's a lot of work, you know. Uh, it's it's uh, there's a lot of brainstorming, uh, trying to get the wording right. Like this is, it's an this, art. This it's an art. It's an art. And um, so uh, I thought it'd be fun. You know, there should be a uh, Twitch live stream of Pierre and I. Uh, you know, tweeting and you know, getting the Bitcoin message out and just uh, sort of a, a play-by-play reaction of us to various you know takes. Yeah, and, and we can be explaining like why we're wording something the way we are, you know, explaining the, the logic, what goes into making this sausage. Um, yeah. And it's I, funny because like people, people will be like, oh, you know, you guys are just like, uh, you're just loud on Twitter. It's like, okay, you know that there's a lot of people who are loud on Twitter, but no one listens to them because it's just really loud. easy to like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, there's, there's, there's some, um, th- there's some meme magic to our work, which means that we end up having an audience and we're not just, uh, you know, screaming at people on Twitter, like people yes. replying to Donald Trump, you know, <laughs> nonsense. Yes. So, I mean, the uh, I, I put out a, a, a tweet um, this week. Like, it was such a, like, I, I was glued to Twitter this week. Um and, uh, but, you know, I, I, I brought forth the phrase of uh, advanced meme craft. Um, that's how I describe the, the uh, program at play here. Um, th- this is, you know, we're, we're trying to shape uh, the, the narrative uh, by which we can carry, uh, you know, geopolitics forward for the next couple of centuries. You know, we want a peaceful, prosperous Bitcoin future. And the way to do that is to put out the right memes um, that people uh, that get get people to uh, submit to the beauty of Bitcoin. Yeah, one by one, one by one, we win them over. It's funny too. Like, um, I, I get I get messages from people uh, like that are there. There'll be like several paragraphs long about 
how I've impacted their life for the better. Uh, and I'm like embarrassed because I'm like, yes. I'm just like, I'm just over here shit posting, man. I'm just being loud. I don't know why you, um, but they're like, no, you like, you got me interested in programming and monetary economics and like I've gotten a better job now and yada, yada. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Maybe shit posting is, is a, is a valuable thing. Um, and this is part of what we want to get at is like, how, how can you shit post in a way that, you know, uh, apparently helps people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I get messages all the time, you know, people, people push back on me because of, of the whole meat thing. Oh, what does that have to do with Bitcoin? It's like, okay, like, yeah, maybe it's a joke. Maybe it's not whatever. I'm not going to stop when I get messages in my DMs, you know, uh, telling me how people have turned their lives around because of uh, changing their diet. Thanks to the memes that I was putting out. It's like, do you not want me to help people? And do they want you to create a separate account? Because like, realistically- uh, you're going to be t- like, do you know, there's, there's accounts where it's like, Oh, I follow this guy because he's a Bitcoiner. And then he like tweets about sports. Um, and like, I don't, I don't reply to his sports tweet and I don't go, why are we associating Bitcoin with sports? Like we shouldn't be tying in Bitcoin with sports. This is unacceptable. Yada, yada. It's like, no, I understand that like they're a person who has several different interests. And sometimes uh, those interests overlap. Yeah. Absolutely. Who could have thought? Uh, now we we need to see uh, more overlap with sports. Uh, we we've got Ross, Russell Okung, and uh, he's only the beginning. Oh, we have uh, we have some soccer players. Yeah, um, we have some US, UFC fighters. Uh, we're taking over. We're taking over. Um, we have I'm, a we have a NASCAR driver, by the way. Really? Is it is it the guy that was driving the Dogecoin a couple years ago? No, no, no. no. Okay. This guy, he, this guy is grassroots. He's not bought out. Um, not perfect. Um, the real Bitcoin me... mobile. Oh, okay. I found him. I found him. Let me see if he. Uh, he still follows me, so he's probably. I, I DM'd him like a long time ago when I saw that he followed me and he had a blue check mark. I clicked on his profile and he's. he's oh, got, I get concerned um, when I see a blue check mark following me. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's probably a journalist. I should probably block them. <laughs> uh, but then I saw that he's a NASCAR driver. Uh, so shout out to uh, Landon Castle. So I Landon hope that Castle. I'm gonna have to go um, him. he's shilling Bitcoin to on the on the circuit uh, to his fans. Um, yeah, eventually we'll end this podcast. But this also brings up an idea yeah. that I just had in my mind. You said he's, uh, you said he's a. Uh, you know, kind of grassroots guy. And yeah. I'm just imagining the the fun uh, that is going to occur when we have tons of very rich Bitcoin barons around that are just like, I want to be a NASCAR driver. And they just have the money to be able to throw at creating their own car that has no, no other uh, uh, endorsements at all. Yeah. Just has whatever they want on it. Uh, and they just go drive and like you just have people like uh, enjoying the fun in life and just like taking on crazy, you know, projects and stuff, both for, you know, society and for themselves. I think it's going to add a lot of fun to the world. Um, and that's exciting. The The world has been lacking a bit of that. Absolutely. All right. On that note, uh, goodbye. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week or well, sometimes we like release two episodes in one day, so maybe we'll see you like in an hour. All right, you have a good one, Pierre. Bye. Jocko. 
What do you think of people in leadership roles who cuss? I see it in coaching. Um, guys either totally use it or are totally against it. So swearing, cussing, using foul language. Uh, I think this is a pretty straightforward question. I can tell you that by no means am I a saint. And, and you know, I was in the SEAL teams for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And when you've heard the term swear like a sailor, mm-hmm. there's actually a level beyond that. <laughs> and that's swearing like a SEAL. Yeah. And so I, I've, you know, there's times in the SEAL teams where literally, you know, Every single word in a sentence would be, you know, a swear word. Uh, and, and that's something that when I go back and brief the, team, brief the SEAL teams right now on something, I go almost right back into that mode, mm. you know. Not, not quite as bad as I probably was at, at the high point of my career mm-hmm. where I was well rehearsed and well trained at foul language mm-hmm. but uh but hey here's the deal on a forum like this where we're on a podcast where you know many many people listen to this including kids and my kids and um i i try and utilize better language now I, and i'll tell you what i actually had a point where i sort of said to myself yeah, I'm not going to do that. And I heard a podcast. Wait, you're not going to do what? I'm not going to swear a oh, lot. Gonna swear. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to be an, I'm not just going to swear the whole time in a podcast. And this actually happened because I heard a podcast. I listened to a podcast where it was actually, it was a conversation, you know, normal podcast. There was a conversation going on between two people and they were swearing so much that I just said to myself, man, this sounds ridiculous. It just sounded, it sounded completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I just decided after, and this was before we started our podcast. This was, you know, maybe like two years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. I heard this podcast and I just said to myself, man, these people sound stupid mm-hmm. with so much swearing. And, uh, and it wasn't, it was, the thing is like, you listen to Joe Rogan or like a, a comedic podcast and they're swearing and, and some people like for instance, Joe Rogan, he swears, he does it at the right time and it has comedic impact or it has value when he does it. So, so that's understandable, but I've heard people that they just, it's, it's just, it doesn't, it it ends up having no impact other than just to make you say, this person's not very smart. Right. So with that, you know, I just try to keep it clean. Um, actually it's not even almost like I don't consciously sit there and try and keep it clean, but uh, you know, I try and keep it clean. Yeah. Is uh, that kind of like, you know how people, uh, most of us have this, uh, I don't want to say problem, but what we say like, like, you know, like very uh, similar, like how it just did. Yes. And I'm doing that. <laughs> so kind of like that. Yeah, you know? it is. It's the same thing where when you hear someone saying like, like, like mm. it, it, as soon as you, you might not even recognize it at first because we're so used to hearing it. Yeah. But if you pick up on it and you're listening to a podcast and Man. you start to hear someone do that, it's the same thing. You just say, wow, this person really sounds stupid. And they might be smart, and, but this person sounds really yeah. stupid and I'm not going to sound like that. So that's pretty much where uh, where my opinion comes from and, 
and why and if, you know what i have had a couple of people hit me up and say uh you know hey this is the only podcast that i listen to that my kids can listen to yeah and that's that's kind of cool you know i i yeah. appreciate that it's it's pretty um it's pretty humbling to hear that people are you know sitting there listening to podcasts with their kids yeah and i guess humbling is the wrong word which somebody hit me up on twitter it's an honor right and it's an honor that doesn't feel like i deserve but it's an honor to hear somebody sitting around and say, oh, you know, I listen to this podcast with my daughter or I listen to your podcast with my son and it's so many good lessons to learn. And that's, that feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I was to throw that out the window so that I could drop some F-bombs, yeah, doesn't really seem worth it. <laughs> yeah. Because what kind, of a, what kind of a linguistic command do I have if the only way I can get my point across is by is by using foul language, yeah. you know? And the funny thing is too is, well, I used to go, you know, when I was in the SEAL teams, I would go and literally, like I said, my I would have whole sentence constru constructions that would be nothing but, but, but <laughs> F-bombs, right? Yeah. And I would come home and in front of my six-year-old six kid or whatever, I never swore in front of my kids. And people would be kind of surprised, like if I had a, a seal buddy over, mm -hmm. and they'd hear me talk in my house, and they'd say, "How do you even do that? How do you?" And I don't know why I've just been able to do it. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. You know, these podcasts, when you go on the interwebs, they're there for—I hate to say it—but they're there forever. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you can take them down, but these are going to be these are out there. out there. So yeah. if you if you want to be represented that way for the rest of your life, <laughs> then you got to be a little bit careful about what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, um, cause I, I kind of like swear. No, I don't like to swear, but I like when people swear and stuff. I think it's, but just like how you were saying, like, for example, Joe Rogan, like he'll swear and sometimes he'll swear a lot, but it's perfect. Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny when mm -hmm. it needs to be funny. It emphasizes, you know a certain emotion when it needs it. it's it's perfect and that's kind of the reason why i like it because sometimes it can be really funny it can be fun to do um but overall there's a certain kind of you can't help but kind of respect someone who doesn't like use the word like all the time or that doesn't <laughs> say um all the time or who doesn't say you know all the time or no i'm saying or yeah. whatever um and and can can control that and i think swearing is yet another one of those things that some people it's more of a weakness where they kind of they don't they don't know how to use it really right, they right. just swear because they swore and they, oh, my parents swore so i swear who cares kind of thing yeah. and on top of that you do have to consider who you're talking to and in a podcast situation you're essentially talking to everybody regardless of who right. you you're trying to talk to who you think or want your audience to be it's everyone and anyone who presses the button is going to be listening so if you don't care how you come off, then good. Then that's that's great. But I think you do have more of a control on how you come off when you can control how much you swear or don't swear. Well, I haven't had anybody, you know, hit me up on Twitter and say, "Hey, you really need to swear, swear more." more. <laughs> right? It doesn't no. happen. Then no yeah. one said, "Hey, you need to say um more or right. you need to say like more." Yeah. People don't need to hear that. They accept it because it's there. And I'll tell you a funny the first time I took my, I used to take my son out occasionally to various SEAL training sites, mm -hmm. you know, in order to inoculate him to violence and firearms and machine guns and war. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and, uh, yes, you all, people can all call child services on me. Uh, but 
it was funny the first time you know he watched a single platoon do some event and i think it was at a at a urban training facility and they got done and i was debriefing them mm. and you know this is my son who had never he heard me swear mm. and who kind of he was at that age where you know a swear word was, was like the, word. the worst yeah, the thing word. ever yeah. and he you know he was standing there and i debriefed these guys and i i debriefed them in the proper seal <laughs> technique and i got done he had a look on his face that said wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy is a little di bit different than what i knew <laughs> yeah. and he was pretty shocked and it was uh it was a pretty funny scenario so you know how you say you don't swear in front of your kids um why is that because you don't want them to swear or or is there yeah, a specific reason? I mean, there is, you know, if, if you ever see a, and, and I do, now that my daughters are a little older, I'll drop some swear words in them in occasionally for impact or yeah, for yeah. humor, you know, mm -hmm. or for whatever. So, so I will do it. But if you ever see a, a young girl swearing mm. it, you see a young boy, you know, it very much seems uh, disrespectful yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So I don't want my kids to be running around with a foul mouth. Now I took my son and a couple of his buddies went on a little surf trip and they were sleeping in a tent mm -hmm. outside of, and I was in the, I was in the camper and I woke up at when I normally wake up and they were, they were up early to go surfing as well, but I was standing outside their tent and I was pretty impressed with oh, the, you hear them. You the hear wide them. array of foul language that they produced. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the thing too, right? So it doesn't, if you'd never swear to your right. kids, it's not like you have protected them from right. swearing. So or, that's, that's my point is that after I stood out there for a while and I listened to them and then I said something along the lines of, Hey, are you guys done? And are you ready to go surfing? <laughs> and my son says, "How long have you been out there, Dad?" <laughs> and and I swore back at him. Uh, I swore back at him and said, "I've been out here long." Yeah. And then they kind of remained quiet for a second, and then they started laughing. I said, "All right, boys, let's go." Yeah, so yeah. I'm not a goody two shoes. Right. I understand. And you know, we talked about Pat, and Pat and swore. Right. That's insane. Yeah incessantly amongst the troops and then when he'd get in front of the politicians he would not and right. i guess i would hope to behave that way and i used yeah. to do that too i used to go there was when we got back from ramadi i had to go and brief the secretary of the navy i had to go brief the congressional the joint caucus i mean i had to go and brief some high level governmental officials and whatnot and i would just walk in there and not obviously you're not going to swear right, in front right. of them yeah. so i think that's another another situation where you've got to know and understand when to swear and one when not to swear. Yeah. And I just, hopefully I'm making the right decisions. And like I said, no one has, uh, no one has hit me up and said, you really need to use more foul language. Yeah. And you know, there's times where we've, you know, we've used foul language on the, on the podcast because, Hey, it's a reality. It's right. a reality of vietnam it's a reality of all wars yeah so to exclude it like it doesn't exist is not what i'm trying to do here yeah you know? and that's kind of a, a big in my opinion a big deal when someone you can tell they're they're actively pursuing not swearing where in any kind of especially in a, a 
casual conversation where they they're about to say something and then they um then they use like i don't know sugar i don't know mm. you know those re- obvious yeah, replacement yeah, yeah. words yeah. which is it's there's nothing wrong with it but it does kind of kind of make you think oh wait like we so we can't just be ourselves right now like we i, I don't know it, yeah, it, it yeah. feels like you might it not be able fake. to relate to it yeah you yeah. know what's interesting is uh you've seen full metal jacket mm-hmm. and just an amazing movie about the marine corps and the whole the the whole first 45 minutes is boot camp mm-hmm. and it's played by Lee Ramey I think is his name and he does he was a real drill instructor and so he just nails it and I, I remember when my son was six or seven years old I go I, I thought to myself I'll, I'll play him some of this movie I'll just find some parts that don't have any foul language <laughs> there are no parts the whole yeah, yeah. thing is just completely over the top yeah. and it's awesome mm-hmm. um, so so there's definitely a time and a place for it. The other thing is, for me, honestly, it's a, it, it's you know I was I'm always trying to do better at stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a challenge, be in trying to find words that are going to have impact without just going right to the easy button on the on the big f bomb because yeah. that's going to have impact. But if that's what you need to use, then it's just a little easy out that I don't want to take right, every right. single time it presents itself. Yeah, and yeah. I'll tell you when I get when uh, there's been a couple times with my kids where they've stepped over line and did something out of line. Mm-hmm. And when I sw- when I've sworn at them, it was like I slapped him in the face because it was having that much impact. Yeah. Whereas if I was just throwing around all the time, it's taking away the impact of it. Right, right. Yeah, so strategically, it has Strategic swearing. Yeah, Patton apparently was, um, from what I read, he, he when he'd get people fired up, he'd do that on purpose. Oh, yeah. And then like even yeah. just in normal conversation, he didn't really swear that much. Yeah. Just one of the things. So he used it as, as a specific tool you know, to get certain things done as, as far as influence goes. Yeah. I can't believe we've talked for 10 minutes about swearing. Right. It needed to be talked about. <laughs> hey, I'm we got to ask the question. 